Good morning, Gateway Church. Have I told you recently I love you? I haven't because I've been away for a few weeks. So good to be back with you. And if you're a visitor here this morning, we love you too. We're glad you came. Uh, we, we hope that you'll find this a warm place. And if you're looking for a church, uh, we trust that maybe the Lord will join you here and connect you as part of his body here. Well, life can be full of pits. Have you ever fallen in a pit? There was a guy who, uh, in a small Irish town, who was walking home late one night and he decided to take a shortcut through a graveyard. And he ended up falling in an open grave that was being prepared the next day for a funeral. He tried desperately to get out. He tried jumping, he tried climbing, he tried clawing, but the harder he tried, the slipperier it got, and it was no use. He tried calling out, but of course there was no one there to help him. So finally he decided he would curl up in a corner, go to sleep, and uh, wait for the funeral the next morning, and, and they could help him out. A couple of hours later, about midnight, the town drunk, Patty O'Leary, was leaving the local pub in a very happy frame of mind. And he decided to take a shortcut through the graveyard. He was singing and whistling and talking to himself. And wouldn't you know it, he ended up falling in the same pit. He tried desperately to get out. He was jumping and climbing and clawing. The, the harder he tried, the slipperier it got. And all the commotion woke the first guy up in the corner. And when he realized he wasn't dreaming, someone else had actually fallen into the pit. He called out from the darkness, stop trying, it's impossible to get out. Well, old Patty O'Leary not only jumped out of his skin, he jumped right out of that grave, ran all the way home, and never darkened the door of that pub again. Life is full of pits. Let me tell you a true story about a pit. John Micklefield and I, Pastor John, who's one of our pastors here, he's, he's working up in the paw right now. We took a small team to India one year on a mission trip to the city of Bombay. Now, Bombay, Bombay streets and sidewalks at the best of times are dangerous. But as we were walking to dinner one night, right in the middle of the sidewalk was a huge hole. The ground had just collapsed. It was about four feet deep. There was rebar sticking out and sharp pieces of concrete. Of course, there was no tape around it, no pylons, no sign, no nothing. Just this huge hole in the middle of the sidewalk. As we all passed by it, we thought, wow, that's really dangerous. Anyway, we went to supper. While we were at supper, there was a power outage in that part of Bombay. All the lights went out. It was totally dark. And we walked back, and as we walked back, we went through that same route. John Micklefield forgot about the hole in the sidewalk, and he fell into the hole. Thank the Lord he never hit the rebar. He didn't really hurt himself, but it took a policeman and two beggars to pull him out of that hole. And when we found out he was okay, it became the highlight of our mission trip. <laughs> Life is full of pits. And today, we're going to look at a psalm about the pits of life. If you would turn, please, to Psalm chapter, or Psalm 40. Psalm 40. There's actually a handout in your bulletin of the sermon notes. But if you have a Bible or a device, I want to encourage you to turn to that. Psalm 40. This is part of the summer series we're doing about the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is actually in the middle of your Bible. It's the longest book in the Bible. It has the longest and shortest chapters of any book in the Bible. And the Psalms is quoted at least 75 times in the New Testament. And did you know that Christ is mentioned in the Psalms? In fact, the psalm we're going to look at today actually has a prophetic foreshadowing of Christ. Jesus in Luke 24, 44 said to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the psalms will be fulfilled. 
Psalm 40 begins to the choir director, a psalm of David. This psalm was written by King David about a thousand years before Christ was born. David actually wrote over half the 150 psalms, 80 to be exact. And the psalms are poems and songs that are meant to be sung, but they're not simply human lyrics and human poetry. They're inspired by God Almighty. They're God breathe. They're infallible, authoritative word of God. They're living and active and powerful. They renew our minds and our thinking. They illumine our understanding. They're a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And then the scripture tells us here that King David is the author. Now, King David was not a superstar. Yeah, he was called to be a king. But he was just an ordinary person like you or me. And you know, we need to understand whether people are in high places of government or rock stars or whatever. They're just ordinary people like you and me. David was a shepherd boy from a large family. The youngest son whose older brothers picked on him and put him down. David had a difficult life. He was hated by King Saul, hunted like an animal due to jealousy, betrayed by his own son Absalom, and despised by his first wife, Michal. David was an adulterer with Bathsheba, and he was a murderer of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Yet, He's not remembered for any of these things. He's remembered as the sweet psalmist of Israel and the greatest king of Israel who united the tribes and brought peace to Israel for 40 years. Why is that? Why is David not remembered as an adulterer and a murderer? I think it's because David had one great redeeming characteristic. He had a heart after God. Acts 13.22 says, And when God had removed Saul, he raised David up to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. David had a heart that responded to God. He had a heart after God. And he wanted to please God. And this is one of the first lessons we learned from the Psalms. God is not looking for perfect people. There's only one perfect person, and he was crucified for our imperfections. God is looking for people who will respond to his love. We also see King David not only had a heart after God, but King David journaled. The reason we have these inspiring psalms and encouraging words is because David took the time to journal his thoughts and his revelations. He took the time to write down his meditations about God and his communications from God. And here's the second great lesson from the psalms. Journal. I want to encourage you to cultivate the habit of journaling. Get a notebook. We actually have some on sale this morning. They're very cheap. And they're personally autographed Gateway Church. And we'll even throw in a pen. I want to encourage you. Journaling is so important because God speaks to you more than you think. And you can write down... What God's saying to you in the Word. You can write down your prayers. You can write down the inspired thoughts that come to you through the Holy Spirit. And your prayers. You can write down your dreams. And you will be shocked at how much God speaks to you. And how much you forget about what He's saying. Well, Psalm 40 begins verse 1. I waited patiently. For the Lord. 
He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my heart, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards me. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. And then verse 6 to 8 is the prophetic foreshadowing about Christ. In sacrifice and offering you've not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. You might want to underline that. Open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you've not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I've not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. And I cannot see they're more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. And let those be turned and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Another translation says, the Lord be magnified. You are my help. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, do not delay, my God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have sung about your greatness this morning. And we thank you for the richness in your word and in this particular psalm. We thank you the Holy Spirit is present in this place. We thank you for your angels. We thank you that there is a whole other kingdom right here in our midst. And we pray, Lord, that you will open the eyes of our heart and our understanding. Let us see more and more of your greatness. We pray that you will renew our thinking this morning. Equip us to grow spiritually and fill our hearts with delight and joy at who you are and how wonderful you are. In your glorious name, we receive the answer to this. Amen. The title of this message is Handling the Pits of Life. And David is in trouble in this psalm. He's in a pit. He begins by remembering a past deliverance from a horrible pit that threatened to destroy him. But the Lord rescued him. Then he goes on and talks about the blessings of trusting the Lord and how God can turn pits into praise. And then he ends with asking God to deliver him from a present pit he's in, one of his own making. Psalm 40 tells us that a pit is destructive. Verse 2 says, He drew me up from the pit 
of destruction. A pit is a circumstance or a condition or, or even people which threaten to ruin us, to trip us up, to stop our progress. Psalm 40 tells us that pits trap us. They're like the miry bog, David describes it. Slippery, unstable. You can't get traction or progress. Years ago at one of our first youth conferences, the leadership decided we would have an obstacle race for all our precious young people. And one of the obstacles was a pit. Heidi's remembering the pit. They dug this pit, filled it with water, and then they took all the garbage from the kitchen meals that was left over and they threw it in the pit for days. It was disgusting. It was mud and lettuce and food. It was unsanitary. It was unhealthy. It was demonic. <laughs> and then they put little army men in that bog, that miry bog. And these poor teenagers had to run through this obstacle race. And when they got to the pit, they dove into the pit, searching for the, the army men. And when they found one, they tried to get up and they'd slip and fall back in. That's a miry bog. And David describes it here in Psalm 40. Slippery, unstable, no traction, no progress. Traps us. He goes on and says in verse 12, it's overwhelming. A pit is overwhelming. All the evils have encompassed me, verse 12 says. My iniquities have overtaken me. I can't see. They're more than the hairs on my head. My heart fails me. And pits can be painful. Verse 14, David says, let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. And finally, Psalm 40 tells us that a pit can be our own making. David says in verse 12, My iniquities have overtaken me. But they can also be the making of others. Verse 14, Let those who seek to snatch away my life, David says, let them be dishonored. Pits are part of life. They're unavoidable. They may be big, life-threatening pits like David describes here in Psalm 40. Or they may be small pits that trip us up. But either way, pits are meant to take us out of the blessing and the joy and the will of God. You might be in a pit this morning. You might be in a situation or a circumstance or even a relationship that's brought discouragement or, de or despair, or even depression to you. It might be a physical disease or ailment that threatens to destroy you. It might be a financial pit that's got you overwhelmed with anxiety or, or a disappointment that's made you cynical and trapped you in offense. It may be a habit or an addiction that you're unable to get free of, leaving you feel hopeless and in bondage. Or the pit may simply be the busyness and demands of life that have left you distant from God, knowing you're not spiritually passionate or fulfilling God's purpose for your life. King David was in one of those pits. And he gives us some God-breathed instruction what to do when you're in a pit. Let's look at that. Psalm 40, first of all, tells us when you're in a pit, wait patiently for the Lord. David says in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. First notice the little phrase, for the Lord. The first thing David does is he turns to the Lord in his troubles. You know, some people when they face trials and 
pressures and challenges and disappointments of life, they turn away from the Lord rather than turning to the Lord. They turn to some comfort-giving idol like Facebook or Instagram, Hollywood entertainment or pornography or food or alcohol or, or work or some myriad of other coping devices, but not David. David was a man after God's heart. And his first response was to turn to the Lord. This little phrase, waited patiently, literally means waiting, I waited. And it doesn't mean to wait passively, drumming your fingers on the table or tapping your foot. It doesn't mean to wait impatiently. It doesn't mean to wait anxiously. It doesn't mean to quit or to give up. This little word waited patiently. We've actually studied before a few months ago when we talked about persevering prayer. In Psalm 37. It comes from a root meaning to bind together. Like twisting or entwining or wrapping around. And when King David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He's not saying, I waited passively. I waited anxiously. He's saying, I wrapped myself around the Lord. I entwined myself around the Lord. I bound myself to the Lord. How did David do that? First of all, he did it by remembering who the Lord is. You know, that's why we sing on Sunday mornings. That's why we sing in our small groups. That's why we praise. We're proclaiming, we're remembering who God is and what he's accomplished. David reminds himself and us that the Lord is near. In verse 17, he says, But the Lord takes thought of me. God notices you. God is not far off in the universe. God is near. Very near. And he knows who you are. Jesus said he knows every hair on your head. He understands all your thoughts. You are not invisible to the living God of the Bible. David goes on and reminds himself and, and us that the Lord is eager to help. Verse 11, he says, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. God is not miserly. He's not reluctant. He's eager to help. In fact, his name is called help. Ladies, if you've been going to the blueprints, you'll know God is an Azair. He's the original Azair, the original helper. And he's eager to Azair us. David reminds himself and, and us that the Lord will not fail. In verse 11 he says, Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. This word, steadfast love, is beautiful, beautiful Hebrew word. It's translated steadfast love, loving kindness, and mercy. But it literally means God's kind goodness and his good kindness. And the Bible says in Psalm 35 and Psalm 60, or 36 and Psalm 57 and Psalm 108, it says that God's steadfast love extends to the heavens and his faithfulness, his firm truth, his absolute loyalty reaches to the clouds. There's no limit to them. And they just keep 
on coming. Last week we had a prophecy by Michael that God's love is like the waves of the ocean. Moment by moment, day after day, year after year, they just keep coming. That's his steadfast love. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't do anything to invoke it and increase it. That's who he is. And he just keeps pouring out his steadfast love. He will not quit. And he will not fail. David reminds himself and us that the Lord inclines. Verse 1. He inclined to me. This word inclined has some beautiful meanings. The first meaning is it means to be stretched out and it's used in Genesis chapter 12 verse 8. It says Abraham pitched his tent. He inclined his tent. He stretched his tent out. And then in Psalm 31 and 86 it means to bend down, to get low. And when David in Psalm 40 says, he inclined to me. He's saying God extends himself to get down to our level. And if you're a parent of small children or a grandparent of small children, you know what that's like. I've seen many of you do that right here in this very room. Your child is racing around and you call their name and you bend down to their level and you get face to face with them. You look in their eyes and they're looking in your eyes and you're either listening to their request or you're telling them something you want them to know. And that's what David says. I waited patiently for the Lord. I wrapped myself around him. And he bent down. He inclined to me. He got down to my level. And he listened to me. He heard my cry. And lastly, David reminds himself and us that the Lord is powerful to deliver. In verse 2, he says, he drew me up. He drew me up. I didn't jump out of the pit. I didn't claw my way out of the pit. He lifted me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. The Lord is not only willing, he's able, he's powerful. Nothing is impossible with God. Waiting patiently for the Lord, entwining ourselves, wrapping ourselves around, binding ourselves to the Lord by first remembering who He is. And then secondly, verse 1 says, by crying out to Him. He heard my cry. David was praying in the midst of this pit. And the Lord doesn't just bend down to our level. He listens to us. He hears and answers when we ask and cry out. Why does God require us to ask? I'm asking you a question. Okay, great, honest answer. I don't know. Jesus just tells us to ask. That's good enough for me. Thank you. I'm going to tell you. But I'm hoping somebody will know. Exactly. God's ordained asking. Because it makes us dependent on him. When we don't pray, when we don't ask, we're saying, thanks Lord, I can take care of this myself. And that's called sin. I can live independent from God. And prayer is a beautiful vehicle because not only do we get the requests, we get to commune with Him and fellowship with Him and we get to know Him and love Him. 
Jesus said, ask and keep on asking and you will receive. Psalm 40 tells us when you're in a pit, wait patiently for the Lord. Remember who he is and cry out to him. Secondly, Psalm 40 tells us when you're in a pit, listen expectantly to the Lord. Verses 6 to 8, and this is the passage about Jesus. In sacrifice and offering you've not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you've not required. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will. Oh my God. Now this is not only talking about David. This is, this is a prophetic foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because the writer to the Hebrews quotes this Psalm 40 in Hebrews 10 verse 5 to 7. It says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body You've prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I come to do your will, O God. It is written of me in the scroll of the book. The key to Jesus' success was an open ear. Jesus heard and obeyed his heavenly Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. The key to David's Turning to God, he cries out in this psalm and says, Lord, you've given me an open ear. God said, he's a man after my heart who will do all that I've asked him to do. Hearing and obeying. That's why we have a Hearing God seminar. If you haven't taken the Hearing God seminar, I want to encourage you this fall. Take it if you've taken it once or twice or three times. Come and take it again. You're an alumni. You get to come for free. The hearing God is absolutely foundational to living the Christian life and being fruitful in the kingdom of God. David's saying, when you're in a pit, don't put your trust in religious rituals or in sacrificial service. They're useless in a pit. What you need is to hear the word of the Lord. Jesus has promised to open our ears. He said in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice. What a beautiful promise. When God speaks to us, it's a happening. Divine power comes to accomplish what he says. Jenny gave a powerful testimony last week. Jenny and Dawson spoke last week on Psalm 34. It was brilliant. It was excellent. Jenny's testimony was so powerful. It was exactly illustrating this point. Jenny was in a pit of anxiety and people-pleasing and perfectionism. and She couldn't get free. She, she said she felt under such oppression and bondage. And she knew she needed to hear from God. And so she took some time to, to be with God. And God spoke to her. He didn't speak audibly, did he, Jenny? He spoke in your thoughts. Which is the, the most common way God speaks to us. In his word, through his word. And then he can speak in our thoughts. And God said to Jenny, Jenny, you're not perfect. You're not God. And Jenny said, those simple words set her free. The oppression came off. The weight came off. She went free and she's never gone back. Listen expectantly. Because when God speaks, it's a happening. Psalm 30 also instructs us, number three, to study and memorize the word of God. Verse 8b, David says, your law is within my heart. David encouraged us to hide the scriptures in our hearts. The truth of God's word was stored up in King David's heart before he went into the pit. Look at verse 10. It says, David talks about God's faithfulness, his salvation, his steadfast love. How did he know that about God? He read his law. 
He read the word of God. In verse 11, David talks about God's mercy not being restrained. God's steadfast love and faithfulness preserving. How did David know that? Because he ingested the precepts of God. The word of God. In verse 17, David says, The Lord takes thought of him. The Lord is his help. His Isaiah and his deliverance. How did David know that? He studied the testimonies of the Lord. The word of God. And David tells us in Psalm 19, The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure. Making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. There are more to be desired than gold. They're sweeter than honey. David had such a high value on the word of God. The only way we grow and mature spiritually is to ingest God's word. And when we memorize it, when we hide God's word in our heart, it's the most effective way to deal with temptation. Jesus in John, Luke chapter 4, gives us a beautiful illustration when the devil himself came to tempt him. Jesus only used the word. Psalm 119 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, you don't know my brain. I cannot memorize. Oh, yes, you can. I guarantee it. Where's our worship leader this morning? Jason, do you want to stand up? Here's a man after God's heart. And we started a discipleship group with with the Replicate. And uh, we said, okay, we're going to study the scripture. We're going to memorize the scripture. And he says, I can't memorize. I said, okay. He said, I've never been able to memorize. I just can't do it. I said, oh, I think you're going to learn how to do it. Jason, how many scriptures have you memorized now? (laughs) I won't. Thank you very much. But I just heard him repeat those 10 scriptures Tuesday night. There's a guy who said, I can't memorize. Well, you're doing pretty good in my books. He's got 10 memorized. And now we're starting on the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to memorize chapter 1. God is your Azer. He'll help you. I went through a really serious trial, a great challenge a few years ago. It was a very difficult time and I woke up one morning and I just felt oppressed. I felt like I was sliding into a pit. It scared me actually. I thought, Lord, I I, I, I need your help here. In my daily reading, I was reading in Psalm 118. And I came to verse 5 and 7. And when I read it, it's like it lifted off the page to me. And I thought, this is the word of God to me. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is my helper. He's on my side. I will not fear. The Lord is my helper. I shall look in triumph on my enemies. And so I read it out loud to myself, to the room. And after I finished reading it the first time, I felt a little flicker of hope. So I read it again, out loud, emphasizing different parts. The Lord, oh, out of my distress, I called on the Lord. He answered me and set me free. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I'll look in triumph on my enemies. And I felt a little more flicker of hope. I felt like I was just inching up the pit. So I read it again. 
out of my distress, I called on the Lord. He answered me and set me free. Well, I kept repeating that psalm out loud for about 15 or 20 minutes. Not only did I come out of the pit like Patty O'Leary, I came onto the mountaintop. I was absolutely set free and never gone back to that. That's the power of God's word. Hiding it in our heart. Reading it out loud. And lastly... Psalm 40 teaches us to testify constantly about the Lord. Verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Not only did the Lord rescue David, but he put a song of praise in his heart about the rescue. And David couldn't keep silent. He couldn't stop talking about the Lord's deliverance. David's test became a testimony. His pit became a proclamation of praise. And it affected the lives of people around him. They put their trust in the Lord. David in verse 5 says, I'll proclaim and tell of the wondrous deeds. Verse 9, I've told the glad tidings of deliverance in the great congregation. Verse 10, I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Verse 16, may those who love your salvation continually say, God is great. The Lord be magnified. When was the last time in a conversation you said to somebody, The Lord be magnified. It's been a long time. <laughs> but that's what the psalmist says. I continually say, God is great. The Lord be magnified. David couldn't stop talking about the Lord and his deliverance. And that's why I encourage us at our prayer summits to write down your answers of prayer and to talk, to tell them to your prayer partners. It's all about testifying who God is and what he's done. Let me end with two illustrations. We had a family reunion July, July long weekend. The only second one we've had in our family history. We learned it from the Mennonites here in Manitoba. So it was my mom's 90th birthday. We met in Kelowna and we had a beautiful family reunion. We have uh, five family members who don't know Jesus yet who are being prayed for for decades. And uh, my mom's made a, a response to Christ, but her, her faith is weak. She just has so many doubts. She doesn't understand the Bible. So we just keep praying and loving and sowing. Anyhow, at the family reunion, she lost this precious ring with sapphires and diamonds. It was very special to her, given to her by my dad who passed away a couple of years ago. And so she was distraught. We searched the room, the bed, the linen, the, the registers, the garbage cans. We couldn't find that ring anywhere. So she actually went back to Vancouver. She took Bethany, our youngest daughter, with her. And Bethany was going to stay overnight with her and then fly back home. So while they're home at night, they, they searched again, couldn't find the ring. And Bethany said, you know what, Grandma? I have a testimony about God finding lost things. So Bethany tells her testimony. Bethany had lost her cell phone one night. She searched her room. She couldn't find the cell phone anywhere. It was late at night, and I happened to be going to bed. And she said, Dad, I lost my cell phone. I said, well, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord that he'll find it. So we prayed, asked the Lord didn't turn up. Bethany went into the bathroom. When she came back in the dark, her, room, her light was out, she crawled into bed and she put her hands on the bed and she put her hand right on the cell phone. It hadn't been there. We had searched the bed and there it was on the cell phone. Well, she was ecstatic. God had not only answered but done a significant, how did that happen? Anyway, she tells grandma this story and she says, grandma, can we pray? Let's pray for your ring. So grandma agrees. They prayed for the ring. The next morning, grandma's waking thought 
is look in your pants pocket. She goes to her closet. She looks, reaches into the pants pocket and pulls out her diamond and sapphire ring. She was so thrilled. Not that she just found her ring. She was thrilled that she heard God. God answered her prayer. Bethany's testimony told, increased the faith and trust in mom. And we have loads. You have loads of these stories. You have loads of opportunities to, to sow the testimony of God's greatness and how he answers prayer and how he can deliver us. Second testimony. We went down to California. Mary's cousin has a beach house in beautiful Avila Beach. If you've ever been there, it's like the rich and the famous right along the Pacific coast. Absolutely stunning. And they let us use their beach house, which was wonderful. And, and they have a golf cart, a limousine golf cart, six passenger. And you drive to the beach in the golf cart. And so while her cousin is, is showing us around the golf cart, he's telling me all the golf cart horror stories of people who have stayed in their uh, house and wrecked the golf cart. And I'm thinking, Lord, don't let me be one of these stories. <laughs> so uh, anyway... Uh, he leaves, and the, and the last night we were there, we decided to go down to the beach late at night on the golf cart and see the waves coming in and, and the moon and whatever. So we drive the golf cart down. We park it. We're the only ones there. I take the key out. I put it in my pocket, and we walk down this huge beach. If you want to just bring up there, there's the huge beach there. Massive beach. We go right, and the tide's out, but the tide's coming in. So we go down to the water's edge, and we want to take a picture. So I pull the phone out of my pocket, and we take a picture, and it's all wonderful. We walk back, happy time. We get to the golf cart. I can't find my key. I think, oh, dear God. Not another golf cart story. So I say, you guys, I must have... I must, when I pulled my phone out, I must have dropped the key on the beach. Well, I said, let's pray. So we prayed. There were four of us. We prayed. We didn't, well, we, we did have flashlights. And so we got our flashlights. And I'm walking down this huge beach trying to find this key in the dark with the tide coming in. Well, our brother-in-law, he felt the Lord tell him, go right to the water's edge. He said, Lord, would you show me where the key is? He went right to the water's edge, and in two minutes, he was back with the key. Oh, I wanted to kiss him. I was so grateful. I thought there's not going to be a golf cart story with my name on it. It's a testimony. That's who God is. That's who God is. He is our helper, our Azair. And whether we're in a big pit or a little pit, God will incline. He'll bend down to help us if we'll wait patiently. Turn to Him. Ask Him. He's waiting to help. Let's stand together. Life is full of pits. And you might be in one this morning. I hope you've been encouraged and equipped in some way to see who God is in the midst and to act. But the most destructive pit is the miry bog of sin. It's living in separation from the Lord. Trusting in ourselves. Not realizing you and I are in a state of independence and rebellion from God. And as such, we're enemies of God under His wrath. But the steadfast love of the Lord. God so loves us. 
He sent Jesus to help us out of that pit. He took our place. He lifted us up. He brought us into his family, filled us with his power and his resurrection life. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, I'm going to invite you to do that this morning. I'm going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges our separation from Christ and and asking Jesus to come in and take control of our life. That's the beginning. And if you're listening on the internet or you're here this morning, Jesus is inclining to you to hear your cry and to change your life. Would you pray with me? I'll pray a line. I'm inviting you to pray that same line sincerely from your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you. You are the great deliverer and the great rescuer. I'm sorry, Lord, for my separation from you. I'm sorry for living independently from you. Forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. Deliver me from the pit of sin. Set my feet upon a rock and fill me with a song of praise. Open my eyes to see you and open my heart to be filled with your love. Thank you for hearing this prayer. Now, if you prayed that for the first time or you're returning to Christ, we'd really, really like to meet with you. We'd like to give you some resources. We'd like to help to disciple you and get you growing spiritually and strong in your relationship with the Lord. So I'm going to ask you, if you you did and you want to grow in Christ, you would come up uh, at the end after the worship song or in the midst of the song and If you want prayer for anything this morning, if you want encouragement for anything, we'd love to pray for you as well. We have a prayer team up. We could have our prayer team come forward and they'll be waiting for you as you come. Let's end by singing this song to you. Don't forget your journal. If you don't have one, today you get a free pen with the price of a journal.